over the next few weeks, we're going to take, a, take some time to consider sanctification and our insides, the kinds of things that we say to ourselves, our self-talk, the conversations that we carry on with ourselves um, throughout any given day. And it really matters. God isn't just concerned about the outside stuff of our lives. God is concerned about the inside stuff of our lives. And in fact, um, the outside stuff of our lives comes from the inside stuff of our lives. And so it matters that we understand something of the Bible's teaching and instruction and help on our self-talk. I think if you're honest with yourself, you talk to yourself. And you talk to yourself quite a bit. I think we all do it all the time in almost any circumstance and in any circum uh, situation, we are having conversations with ourselves. I don't know that if we always give a lot of attention, though, to the things that we say to ourselves and the things that we are thinking all the time, but we should. There's a very clear reason why we should, because what we say to ourselves inside works its way to the outside of our lives. Uh, the scripture says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, very true. The conversations that you have verbally with others, the things that you say sometimes on unguarded moments slip out. Uh, they come from the heart, um, from what's inside of us. We need to be careful of what we say because what we say in our hearts, we will soon say with our lips because the feet follow after our hearts. For thoughts are the words of our heart. You want to know what's in your heart? Just listen to yourself talk. Listen to the conversations that you have with yourselves. One person wrote, evil deeds are the offspring and children of evil thoughts. The converse would be true then as well. Good deeds are the offspring of good thoughts uh, in our hearts. Life sins, which means our external sins, life sins receive their juice and nourishment from thought sins. So I want to take some time over this next little while, um, both from my own observation and experience, um, my own personal life, but also talking with others, that we do battle with what we say to ourselves on just a regular, ongoing, moment-by-moment basis. And we battle uh, as such because in the world in which we live, we are influenced by tons of lies and deception. They flourish in the world around us. Um, the lies of the evil one are constantly being sent our way, and we are hearing them. And we don't listen nearly enough to God's word. I think things like envy and jealousy and covetousness are all topics of self-talk. They start in our heart. They're conversations that we have with ourselves as we compare ourselves or want or look at what somebody else might have. Issues of sexuality and body image and gender are all topics that begin with self-talk. Our own self-worth and our self-image, fear, anxiety, anger, are all products of inner conversations that we first have with ourselves and ways that we talk with ourselves. Depression is self-talk to a large extent. And so we have to ask the question, are you speaking truth to yourself? Are the conversations that you have in your heart and in your soul, are they true to Scripture? Are they true to reality? Are they true to how God would have us to think. I don't think it's helped these last number of years, uh, two years in particular, all the isolation that we've experienced. It's just removed us even farther from people and we spent more time talking to ourselves. Scripture has a great deal to say about these conversations. It has a great deal to say about what goes on in our hearts and minds. 
And particularly, it tells us that God cares what you say inside of yourself. And even if I can't hear it, God hears it. Even if your spouse can't hear it, God hears it. Even if your kids can't hear it, God hears it. God is aware of our inner conversations and of our inner thoughts. David writes in Psalm 51, verse 6, Behold, you desire or delight in truth in the innermost being. In other words, it matters to God what is inside of me. And he wants truth to be what resonates inside of us and influences our actions. He says, and you will teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Paul in Thessalonians addresses the reality that sanctification or the work of God in us to make us like himself is not just an external reality, it's an internal reality. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. That's the whole human nature. All of us in, in our entirety is to be blameless. In Titus, he writes, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. I think we understand that, right? The, the thoughts that we have in our conscience can be contrary to what God wants of us and wants for us. And so we need to work through this kind of issue. It was a number of years ago that I was, uh, happened to be doing some reading on a particular uh, parable, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. It was the parable of the rich man and the fool, or the parable of the rich fool. And I was, as I was wrestling with that particular text, I happened to be reading alongside of it a book called Healing in the Scriptures by Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he made this passing reference to a phrase, and it just caught my attention, and it has now for years. Martin Lloyd-Jones says of the rich man, he now turns to himself and he addresses his soul, and he says, and I just never thought of that, having a conversation with myself, uh, dealing with the things that I am saying to myself. And it struck me that, Paul, you can do that. You can have a conversation with yourself. And then a little bit later, I was reading another book by the same author, and he wrote this. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself? That is a great statement. There is a world of mental health in that particular statement alone. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you, and they bring back the problems of yesterday. Do you know what that's like, right? You wake up in the morning, and all of a sudden you're just bombarded with stuff in your brain. He says, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. In other words, to know how to handle those conversations. He says, you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You have to preach to yourself. You have to question yourself. You must say to yourself, why are you cast down? What business have you to be so disquieted? You must turn on yourself, abrade yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God. 
instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, what God has done, what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, at the end of this great note, to defy yourself and defy other people and to defy the devil and the whole world and say this, I will yet praise the Lord for his help and his countenance, who is also my help and my countenance. Do you understand what he's saying, right? He's saying that when we think certain ways and we have conversations with ourselves, we need to talk to ourselves and say, is that right? Is that true? No, it's not. This is God. This is what God says. This is what God's word says. This is the truth. Get a hold of yourself, Paul. Stop talking to yourself like that. It's important that we distinguish between listening to ourselves and talking to ourselves. I'm not interested in, in, in self-talk because I'm an athlete. I'm not an athlete. But it's part of athletics, self-talk. They, you know, they train you. The psychologists come in and say, now you need to talk to yourself. You need to say, I'm a good player. I'm a good goal store. I'm a good goalie. Or for salespeople, this is common in salespeople in seminars that they have to bring people in to teach them to talk to themselves in ways that um, encourage them, in ways that make them feel successful. And they may or may not work, or that may or may not work. What I'm interested in is self-talk that helps me spiritually. What I'm in is, is how do I change those conversations that I have with myself into conversations that are pleasing with God? And I need help at that because I'm a good liar. I was reading a, a, a comic a, a while ago, an Archie comic, and he, 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 he's, uh, Jughead tells Archie that he fears that he's going to fail at something that he wants to do. And Archie then gives Jughead some time-honored advice. Tell yourself you can do it. Speak positive messages of success to yourself. And Jughead answers, that won't work. I know what a liar I am. <laughs> and I think that's the difference between sort of non-spiritual self-talk and biblical self-talk. I don't want to lie to myself. I don't want to tell myself things about myself that aren't true. What I need to do is infuse my conversations and my thoughts with the truth of God's word with the things that God says to me and about me and about the world that I live in. You can find this all through scriptures, self-talk. When you're reading it, if you, it's like when you have a red car, you notice all the red cars around you. When you start thinking about self-talk and thought life and you read scriptures, you see it everywhere on the pages. Sometimes it's really obvious. The scripture might say he said to himself or she said to herself. Another place, it might say, well, Jesus knew the thoughts that they had in their heart. He knew what they were saying in themselves as Jesus was talking or as he was preaching. Uh, Psalm 14.1 begins this way, the fool says in his heart. It's a conversation. So Psalm 14 reveals the self-talk of a fool in relation to God. There's other variations of this, but it's woven all through Scripture, this reality that we speak to ourselves. And what quickly becomes clear as you, as you find indications of this is generally it's not good. Generally, our self-talk is not bent towards truth. It's not bent towards the things that are pleasing to God. And so we need help to reorient it and redirect it. We sing songs that teach us this truth. What's one of the favorite hymns of the church? It is well with my soul. And what is one of the lines in that song that we sing with great gusto? Thou hast taught me to say, 
it is well with my soul. That's a recognition that we need God's help to teach us and to help us learn to speak the right things about the circumstances that we find ourselves in and the trials that we're facing. God, I need you to teach me to speak truth to myself as I walk through this difficult time. You might say, thou hast taught me to say, you are faithful all the time. Thou hast taught me to say, your steadfast love will never, ever fail. There's other songs that we sing. There's a song that we sing from time to time, Oh Great God. And there's a line in that song, Worthy to be praised with every thought and deed. Not just my actions, but my inner soul. God is worthy to be praised by those conversations I have with myself. Another song that we sing, Speak, O Lord. And there's a line in there where it says, Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. We'll see it again and again and again over these next few weeks, how what we say to ourselves matters. You see, what we say to ourselves and what we think in ourselves will eventually work itself out in our words and in our actions. It always does. What we sow in our minds, we reap in our actions. The kind of food our minds devour will determine the kind of person we become. I don't know about you, but my parents used to say to me, garbage in, garbage out. Some of you have probably heard that phrase. What we, again, what we sow in our minds. Do you, you think about that? What you sow in your mind. What do you watch? What about the, the things that you read on your Instagram or your Facebook page or Snapchat or TikTok or TalkTick or I don't know. <laughs> We, we, we absorb so much stuff. Is it true? Is it right? Does it feed our conversations in directions that help us or hurt us? Who you are as a follower of Christ will be no better or no worse than the thoughts that you entertain in your head, the conversations that you carry on in your soul. Some of you may be familiar with the work of Carolyn Leaf. She has spent a whole, most of her career in studying the science of thought. And she writes that, quote, thoughts influence every decision, word, action, and physical reaction we make. Our behavior follows our thoughts and not the other way around. Those inner conversations that you have will eventually influence your words and your actions. She goes on to say, there's a massive body of research collectively that shows up to 80% of physical, emotional, and mental health issues today could be a direct result of our thought lives. Another one said, it's generally accepted that one's thought life influences every aspect of one's being. And you know, your thought life are the conversations. Your thoughts influence the conversations you have with yourself. I was sent a, a note by a few people, um, by Alistair Begg, he does a daily devotional. He says, in many ways, we are what we think. Our minds are the root of our actions, and it is through our minds that our affections are stirred. Therefore, it's absolutely imperative that we think about the right things and that we learn to think in the right way. In other words, we must learn to think Christianly. Our, our inner conversations must be Christian conversations. And I wonder to myself, why is this not more of Christian theology and discipleship? Sin in our minds and our self-talk is sin that doesn't have to wait for an opportunity. The mind can sin anytime, 
anywhere, under any circumstance. It's much more difficult for us to sin when people can see us and when we might get caught, whereas in our mind and in our conversations, we can say and go places anytime under any circumstance that can be often brutal. The deceptive nature of our hearts, I think, is one of the things that fuels our inner conversations. And it's important that we have an objective guide for our self-talk. You see, the conversations that you have with yourself, nobody else hears them, do they? It's just you, yourself, and you. Who, who corrects those? Who challenges those? Who says, that's a really stupid thing to be saying? We would never say those things out loud. When we have conversations with other people, they can challenge us. They can correct us. They can say, that's not right. That's not true. They can even fact check us. They can tell us, don't talk like that. But who does that with your inner conversations? Who is it that says, that's not the right way to talk? Don't go there. See, that's what makes our self-talk so dangerous is because it's not open to scrutiny. At least when ideas are verbalized, there's an opportunity to correct it. But when it comes to our self-talk, what checks and balances does it have? The Bible warns, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Mark writes, from the heart flow all kinds of sin and evil. Many who will not do evil deeds are nevertheless boldly evil in their thoughts. Have you found that? I'm a really good person for everybody to see. But inside, wow, it's another story. The sins one deliberately entertains in one's mind may be a thousand times more evil than anything one would ever think of doing before others. And a sin of the mind is just as evil and sinful as an acted out fantasy. So again, just listen to yourself. Would you let your children talk like that? Would you want your spouse to talk like that? See, the, the point I'm saying is that's why we need to find out how to manage it and correct it and sanctify it. I hope to preach um, a message down the road as part of this series on our conscience. I think our conscience is a gift of God to us, and I believe that the conscience is the arbitrator of our soul or our self-talk. Our conscience is what guides and corrects and is aware of our self-talk. It knows all. And when we stand before God, one of the things that will, will come before God is our conscience. And so it matters that we train our conscience, that we have a good conscience, that we purify our conscience. As we do that, the conscience will be more clearly focused and better able to give us reliable feedback. And therefore, a trustworthy conscience becomes a powerful aid to spiritual growth. So we know we talk to ourselves a lot. I think we've made that point. Um, scripture talks about it a lot. But what about sanctification? Sanctification is a word that we, it's a biblical word, but sometimes we don't always understand it. In its basic meaning, it's God's work within us to make us holy. It's God's work within us to make him like himself. 
That's what sanctification is like. It's, it's, it's taking, it's taking an, a sinful individual and transforming them back into the image of God, into the image of Jesus Christ. And so sanctification is a pursuit of every Christian. And it doesn't just mean that our external lives are sanctified, but what goes on inside of us also needs to be transformed and sanctified. It's expressed in family terms um, in the sense that as God's sons and daughters, we are to bear family likeness. We are to begin to look more and more and more like God. We, we would say sometimes to people, um, and we say sometimes the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. By what we're saying is that, well, they're, they're a whole lot like their parents, like their mother or like their father. Sometimes we can even look at somebody and we can say, boy, you look a lot like your mom. Well, of course, I've got her genes and, you know, she's, I've listened to her voice and I've followed her advice. And so, of course, I look and sound a lot like my mother. Well, that's the truth about sanctification, that more and more and more people should look at us and say, man, you look a lot like God. You sound a lot like Jesus. That's the goal of sanctification. And sanctification is a work that is to transform the whole being, outside and inside. And it ought to be a Christian priority. We ought to take it seriously. So how do we put these two together? Our self-talk and the things we say to ourselves and the truth of Scripture that we're supposed to become more like God in every area of our life. I think we need to realize that thought sins work directly on the soul to bias it towards evil. And so we need to think about how God helps us. I already quoted, I think, Psalm 51.6, and that's worth memorizing that, that particular verse. It's in Psalm 51, which some of you would know is the confession and repentance of David after he had sinned with um, Bathsheba and then had her husband killed. And those things started his thoughts. And that's when David writes then, as he recognized all of that, he says to God, he says, you desire truth in my innermost being. I need to be transformed on the inside. I need to be transformed in the things that I say to myself and the things that I think about. I've been caught a number of times, every time I read the book of Job, actually, by one of the verses in uh, the first chapter of Job, um, chapter 1, verse 5. And there it talks about Job, who regularly made sacrifices and offerings on behalf of his children. Do you know why he did it? Lest they had cursed God in their hearts. That's amazing, right? Job, in other words, the Bible is recognizing that Job is aware that our hearts can cause us to sin. That in our hearts, we can go places that we might never go externally. That often our external behavior flows out of our internal behavior and that we can sin in our hearts. And so he makes sacrifices lest they had cursed God in their hearts. He prays for them lest they had sinned in their self-talk. And you say, well, does that really happen, this sinning in our self-talk? Well, yes, it does. What about thought adultery? There's a conversation that you have in your heart for a woman or a man that you're not married to. You may never articulate it, but you have talked to yourself 
about them, and you've talked yourself into sinning with them. Some of us may not actually murder somebody, but the anger and the envy and the hatred that we have towards them in our hearts is probably worse than even the actual act of murder. Is it not true that we can often look on a person with our verbal speech towards them being tolerable and even accommodating, but inside we're full of venom and hatred towards them as we speak in our heart? Proverbs says, don't be jealous of sinners. What's jealousy? Jealousy is a, is, is a, is, is, starts in self-talk. It starts in an inner conversation that we have with ourselves, as is envy and covetousness. They, they start in our hearts. Ah, oh, they shouldn't have that job. How did they ever get that job? They don't deserve that job. I should have got that job. Man, that's an amazing car. I wish I could have that car. And on and on it goes, and it starts with our heart. And then we start treating them differently because of the conversations that we are having with ourselves. What about your worth? Do you ever look at yourself and say, I'm worth nothing? I'm ugly. God doesn't love me. Nobody loves me. Nobody ever will love me. Do you realize that you are of incredible worth to God? Do you tell yourself that? Do you, do you tell yourself, no, I have been knit together in my mother's womb by the hand of God. Before I ever think thoughts, God already knows what I'm thinking. God loves me. God made me. I'm in his image. I have value. I have worth. Do you think God is only interested in your vocalized words? No, God is interested in the things that you say to yourself, about yourself, and about him. Just so you know, and we'll, we'll get to this in, in the weeks down the road, but God does know what we say to ourselves, and he wants us to change it. There's a lot of examples, but here's just one. As the people of Israel are about to enter into the land of Canaan, God's going to give them this beautiful, lush land. They're going to get houses they didn't build. They're going to get vineyards they didn't plant. They're going to get fields that they, that they, they didn't uh, plant seeds in. And God says to them, So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly, as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart, After the Lord has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. See what God's saying? God knows what we say inside of us. He says, don't say that. Don't talk to yourself that way. It's not true. It's not right. And we'll find this again and again and again. Why we need the balance of Scripture in our hearts and in our lives. We need to be honest with ourselves. I think that's the first place to start, isn't it? That There are thoughts and consequently conversations that we have with ourselves that debilitate us. Conversations about fear or about worry or about anger. Depression, gender, self-worth. We have humanistic thoughts, thoughts that have no room for God. We have atheistic thoughts, thoughts that tell us there is no God and therefore we can live and act in a certain way. We have thoughts that shock us sometimes just because of the pure evil of those thoughts. We have pleasure-driving thoughts. If we ever want to see real progress in sanctification, 
This is an area that we must attack and destroy. These sinful thoughts and these sinful conversations with vengeance. I'm not the first one, and I certainly won't be the last one, who recognizes the need of holiness of mind. We can't necessarily control the thoughts and the feelings that arise from our hearts and minds, but we can control what we do with them. As one, um, I think it was Spurgeon who said, you can't stop birds from flying around your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. We can choose which thoughts we will dwell on and which ones we won't. We read that a couple times from Philippians. Whatsoever is pure, right, Anybody help me? Lovely, true, commendable. What was that one? Just. Dwell on these things. Think on these things. Replace the unpure thoughts, impure thoughts, with pure thoughts. Replace the non-commendable thoughts with commendable thoughts. Replace the dirty, mean thoughts with lovely thoughts. One of the most neglected aspects of the quest for holiness, writes John Stott, is the place of the mind. He says we are to consider not only what we should be, but by God's grace what we already are. We are constantly to recall what God has done for us and say to ourselves. This is self-talk again, eh? So we recall what God has done, and we need to remind ourselves of that. He goes on, he says, God has united me with Christ in his death and his resurrection, and thus obliterated my old life and given me an entirely new life in Christ. He's adopted me into his family. He's made me his child. He's put his Holy Spirit within me and so made my body his temple. He's also made me an heir and, a promise, and promised me eternal destiny with him in heaven. This is what he has done for me. This is what I am in Christ. Do you tell yourself that? When you face temptation, when you face doubt, when you feel alienated, no, I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. I, months ago, um, heard a talk by Tico Rice, and he talked about a personal catechism, and so I've embraced it somewhat in my own life, but I've adopted it to myself. And it will likely change over the years, but for now, I've recorded a few things that I regularly tell myself. Not every day, but I have one in my truck and I have one on my uh, computer at home, uh, just a little sheet, and I have them on my phone. These are the first, these are two of them. Paul, when did God choose you? He chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined you for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. I am God's child. And then the very last question I repeat to myself on a fairly regular basis is, Paul, why is today better than yesterday? I used to have on my phone, and my wife asked me to change it, rightly so, but I used to have on my phone, what? Another day? <laughs> it wasn't the most positive, encouraging <laughs> self-talk. <laughs> And so this is a different version of that. Paul, why is today better than yesterday? Because, Paul, you're one day closer to your faith being sight. Paul, because you're one day closer to seeing Jesus face to face. 
Paul, because you are one day closer to being home. That helps my self-talk. That guides the conversations that I have with myself about what any particular day might hold for me. We have to propagandize our souls. Uh, we're, We're really familiar with the word propaganda right now, aren't we? It's been so much a part of our world. We, we hear about it with, with COVID stuff. We hear about it with the war in Russia and Ukraine. We hear about it with Korea. Propa, propaganda is part of our culture. It's something we've always done. It's, we're just more aware of it. I looked up a definition of propaganda. It says propaganda is the spreading of ideas, information, or rumor for the purpose of helping or injuring an institution, a cause, or a person. So it can be good or bad. Ideas, facts, or allegations spread deliberately to further one's cause or to damage an opposing cause. And so this one particular Old Testament writer says that all of us propagandize our souls. Do you know that, right? He goes on and he says, we constantly talk to ourselves. How crucial it is then to feed our souls true propaganda especially about the adequacy of God. See, he recognizes the need to sanctify our self-talk, to propagandize it with truth. Then he goes on and he gives this illustration. Happily, sometimes others will rivet our minds on the right propaganda. It was in 1854, Charles Spurgeon's first year of ministry in London, cholera struck. One family after another called Spurgeon to the bedside of loved ones, and almost daily he stood by a grave. At first, Spurgeon threw himself into his visitation of the sick with all his youthful vigor. Soon, however, weary in body and sick in heart, he began to think he was about to succumb. He was on the great Dover Road, dragging himself home from a funeral when a large broadside posted in a shoemaker's window arrested his attention. It didn't look like a trade announcement, nor was it. In the center of the large sheet, in good, bold handwriting, stood the words, "'Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high,' Thy habitation, there shall no evil befall on thee, neither shall any plague come nigh on their dwelling. The words of Psalm 91, 9-10 took immediate effect. Spurgeon reported, Faith appropriated the message as her own. I felt secure, refreshed. I went on my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. He had spoken truth to his soul, or he had read truth, and it strengthened him. So that's sort of what I mean to propagandize our souls with truth, to take the word of God, to take the promises of God, to take the corrections of God, to take the word of God, to take the hope of God, to take the character of God, the person of God, and apply it to the conversations that we have with ourselves on a daily basis. What you say and keep saying to the center of you will direct your way. It really will, loved ones. You will only make progress in this as you are in Christ, as you walk with Christ. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus and we were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. As Paul would say in another place, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Oh, as we walk with Christ, there is incredible hope for transformation of those inner conversations that we have with ourselves.
Father, we come before you today. And as we take a few weeks to consider our thoughts and the way that we talk to ourselves, Father, would you help us? Father, sometimes we are shocked. Sometimes we are disturbed. Sometimes we are held hostage. Sometimes we are debilitated by the conversations that we have with ourselves, but that's not how you intend us to live. You want us to bring those conversations in line with what's true. You want to help us to say things in ourselves and in our own hearts that are right. You want us to dwell on good things and on right things and on holy things. Help us to this end, Father, as we take this journey together for the next couple of weeks as your people. Father, sanctify us inside and out, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.